Well, good morning, Bithyan Baptist. Father, we just uh, are so mindful about who you are in our lives. We need you every day, Lord. We need your grace every day. And Father, I just pray as I share today that you would take the preeminence, that I would take a back step and just allow you to shine through. Bless our time together, Lord, and just may it be a time of encouragement and blessing. In Jesus' name, amen. Scripture tells us Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So today I want to share a story of how God took a broken life full of pain and hurt and brokenness and then redeemed it and is now using it for good. This is my story. I'm what you call a uh, life skills educator, so what that looks like, I'm invited to go to various schools throughout New Zealand and help to challenge students to think about the decisions they face as they navigate their teenage years. And as you're aware, the issues that our young people are facing are increasingly complex in nature. And I put my hand up 20 years ago and said, you know what, I actually want to be there to support and guide and inspire and encourage with a message of hope. And we speak on average to about 50 to 80 schools a year. In fact, last term I spoke to, I had 31 speaking engagements. This term I have 39, and so things are getting increasingly uh, busy. The other role I do, and I have for the last 10 years, I'm a volunteer St. John Ambulance Officer. So uh, I function out of the Mount Monganui Station, and I put my hand up years ago again as a volunteer and said, you know what, I actually want to use my faith in a practical way to serve my community, to somehow support my colleagues in doing what they do and to just love them and be there to use these in a practical method, to be the hands and feet of Jesus to so many around us that need a physical expression of who Jesus is, yeah? And so I've done that for nearly 10 years now and unfortunately, all too regularly, we see the tragic consequences of bad choices in relation to substance abuse, violence and assaults, poor driving practices and other at-risk behaviours. But I wasn't always these things. In fact, for 20 years, I was in total bondage as a drug user, hopelessly addicted to narcotics and tranquilizers, and caught in a world I couldn't get out of until finally God stepped into my world many years ago. And I'll share some of that with you today. I was born in, uh, in the UK and England in 1965. I have two brothers. I've got a twin brother. He's the ugly one. Just kidding. <laughs> and I've got an older brother. In fact, I'm one hour older than my brother, so he's always my little bro. And um, we're born into a home where our father was an alcoholic. So back in those days, the logic was change town, change country, the problem goes away. So we hopped on a boat called the Rangi Toto and sailed down here to the port of Auckland in 1968 and moved out to a town called Howicombe, very quickly realised that the only thing that had changed was the weather. Dad was still drinking, he was still lying, he was still abusive and volatile. In spite of that, I loved my dad, and I needed him there in my world, and I'm very mindful of how God places people in families, that God has called us to have a mum and a dad, and ideally, that is. And when that doesn't happen, incredible damage can come out of, as a result. Our dad was an alcoholic and so things were always tense around the home. To make matters worse, one day my mum was in the kitchen and she turned her back just for, in, for 
for a second. And in that moment, I reached up and I pulled a pot of boiling water off, a, off the stove and dropped it all over my right arm and all over my hip, scolding myself really badly, what you call third-degree burns. And when I went to school, because I was different, I was immediately shunned by my peers, pushed aside and mercilessly picked on and bullied, being a little guy too. It didn't help. And so I spent my life using these to protect myself. Not that I condone violence in any way, but back in those days, that was all I had. And so life at school for me was challenging, to say the least. But then I had to go home and face all my father's unpredictability and violence and hostility. And then one day he walked through the front door and whispered something into mum's ear and turned around and walked out that door. Mum called us into our room and said, I need to tell you something, boys. And we said, what is it, mum? She said, your father's decided that he doesn't want us anymore, that he wants to walk off and live his own life. And for a child that didn't understand the dynamics of what marriage was, somehow I internalized that pain and thought that somehow it was my fault that my father had left. And so I took all of that upon me and I shut down. I remember standing at school the next day, looking out at the kids playing on the field and they were having fun and I felt so alone in that moment. And I remember shutting down and I said to myself, I'm never going to let people get close to me ever again because I don't want to be hurt. And so I shut down this tender heart and built a wall around it. Interestingly enough, my same situation, my two brothers, they dealt with their pain in a very positive way. In the 70s, the charismatic renewal, my older brother went to an Anglican spirit-filled youth group and he got saved. And then my twin brother was sitting next to me on a bus and he invited Christ into his life. And then finally, my mum, who was a broken lady, cried out to Jesus and said, please help me. And I watched over 10 years as God picked up the broken pieces of their life and restored them. I said to myself, if God is real, I'll set my own family. Other people can con you, but not your own family. And I watched. But you see, for me, my logic was, well, how can I trust the Heavenly Father who I can't see when the one I did have walked out of my life and betrayed me? And so our paths very quickly went two different directions. I started sneaking out of my home and, and going off to parties in the middle of the night. We were as quickly exposed to an adult world full of dangerous situations I hadn't planned on being in. Excessive alcohol, and I don't have an issue with alcohol per se, but it's the excessive use where people lose control and then all sorts of other at-risk behaviours open up as a result of that. Quietly in the background, my family were on their knees praying for their brother, for their son, while I was out there and them unable to get a hold of me at the time. So quickly got thrown into a world hanging out with the naughty kids who I thought were the cool kids. They weren't cool at all. They were just broken like I was. And we had something in common to journey with together. One day I'm standing with a group of my friends and one of the guys turned around to me and offered me a joint of marijuana. And in that moment I felt so pressured to fit in and belong and so cornered. I thought if I say no, they won't want to hang out with me anymore and I'd already had enough of rejection. So foolishly I allowed them to influence my choice rather than making my own. I took that thing and I put it to my lips and I started smoking a bit of pot and I thought, well, I might smoke a bit of dope. I might drink a bit of alcohol, but I'll definitely never do anything else. Well, exponentially, a whole lot more came my way very quickly. And within two short years, I ended up hanging out with a group of guys who were probably five or ten years my senior. They were, ex they were using a very dangerous drug, which Mr. Asia flooded the New Zealand market with a drug called heroin. 
And one day this guy sat me down and said, Pat, do you want to try some? And rather than making my own choice, I allowed them to influence my decision and I pulled up my sleeve and I let a guy shove the needle full of drugs in my arm, thinking I'd just try it once. It can't be that bad. Well, it was that bad. And after a week, I became totally addicted to drugs. And as a result, I went to my doctor to try and get some help. And in his wisdom, he prescribed me a family of drugs called benzodiazepines or tranquilizers. And at 14 years of age, I ended up becoming addicted to these hard drugs and five different types of tranquilizers just to function every day. This wasn't to get stoned anymore. And for the sake of time, I got plunged into a world of addiction and narcotics and thrown into a nightmare I couldn't get out of for the next 18 years until finally my choices caught up with me. You see, the Bible's very clear about what a man sows, so will he reap. You make bad choices and eventually consequences always come, and they did. And in 1995, I had a series of overdoses, three in a row. And uh, all the while in the background, my family praying for me, my two brothers who were pastors, and my mum seeking the face of God, standing in the gap as death tried to steal my life. This experience that happened to me was just so profound, it, it rocked me forever. God stepped into my world and intervened, intervened, responding to the prayers of my family and others. During several of those overdoses, I was to have several encounters with God, which were, again, profound and so powerful, I've never been the same. The last time I overdosed, my friend was trying to resuscitate me unsuccessfully for 25 minutes. He was just smashing his fist into my chest trying to get my heart started. He was actually a backslidden Christian guy, so he had a, some sort of morals and actually wanted to try and help his friend who was literally dead on his floor. He called an ambulance, which junkies don't do. They'd normally just throw you on the side of the road and leave you, but my friend cared enough to try and get help, so he called the ambulance. An ambulance from Howick to Beachlands takes approximately 25 minutes. I didn't breathe a breath. As the ambulance rolled up the drive, I stood up and I heard what I know to be the audible voice of God speak to me personally and very clearly and said this, Pat, I love you, son, but unless you surrender your life to Jesus, you will be dead in three weeks. And let me tell you, when the creator of life speaks, you listen. Every cell in my being resonated with that truth. I just knew that somehow God was stepping out of timelessness into time and trying to get my attention and tried to help me to understand that it wasn't anything that I'd done, but he loved me and had a purpose and a plan for my life. And that if I was willing to trust him, he would help me, pull me out of my hell, my nightmare, my predicament. Not pointing out the bad things I'd done in my life, but just simply saying, I love you and have a plan for your life. So do you know what? I was smart enough to listen to that voice. And in 1995, in August 1995, I stepped into a Christian rehab center. And all I had left was 90 pills in a bottle. Pills that I'd been addicted to for 16 years. And he challenged me to do something, and I would never encourage anyone else to do this. This was for me personally. He said, Pat, do you really trust me with your life? Do you really believe I can do what I say I can do in my word? And I thought, well, I'm about to find out because unless you come through for me, I'm going to die. Words on a page can't change me and help me. Only a living relationship with you can. What he was asking me to do was to tip the very thing I still held on to 
down the sink. Now, you do not do that if you understand addiction. You can go into seizures and convulsions just from doing that. I was taking 30 or 40 benzodiazepines a day. I walked over to the sink and I tipped these pills down the sink. I remember falling on the ground and I remember the Lord quietly speaking to me and said, Pat, I have everything now. Together, we're going to rebuild the pieces of your life and I'm going to change you and heal you and use you to be an instrument in my hands. Now I said to him, God, I have nothing left I can give you except this broken life. He said, that'll do. I'll take that. And I said, I'll tell you what, I'll give you 12 months. If you can help me, we'll renegotiate in 12 months. <laughs> now, I'm not being rude or disrespectful, but my trust had been so betrayed, I didn't know how to trust God. I didn't know how to trust the Father. So he allowed me, little by little, to test him. Not put him to the test, but test him and see if he wouldn't prove himself faithful. I finally fell on my knees and cried out to the Lord to save me from myself and the torment I was in. And so in August 1995, Jesus invaded my life and I've never been the same. How can you be when he truly fills your life? He turned my world upside down and I've never and became so real to me. In fact, I would pray and before I'd even finished praying, I had the answers. Proverbs 18 24 says a friend who sticks closer than a brother. To me, that's the Holy Spirit. I was in such need to have somebody who could help me that I hadn't even finished uttering what I had to and I would have the response. So I spent the next two and a half years in a Christian rehab where God started to rebuild the broken pieces of my life. That was 22 years ago. A friend of mine challenged me and said, Pat, have you thought about going to Bible college? I thought, why would I want to go to Bible college? It's full of geeks and nerds and, you know, strange people. <laughs> he said, well, go and check it out. And if you don't like it, you can always say, don't worry about it. Well, I went to Faith Bible College. It's a two-year course. I ended up there for four and a half years for bad behavior. <laughs> and the Lord spoke to me and said, Pat, if you want me to use you, you must allow me to shape you in my word and through my spirit to restore layer upon layer, line upon line, precept upon precept, so I can build you into something strong and resolute for me to be used in my hand. And so I allowed myself to come under and submit myself to the people in that place to allow them to invest and to speak into me. Then I came to a point in my life where I was pining for a significant other. I met this woman one day. I spotted her across, uh, across the other side of church. I went, damn. I looked down, she had three kids, I went, damn. But you see, love is a choice. And my friend who was a cop, it's funny because I hated cops and he hated junkies and God brought us together. But this mate said to me, Pat, he said, can you love that lady? And I said, of course I can. He said, we'll get to know her, get to know the kids, and if it's going to happen, it will. The Bible says children are a gift from God, it's true. He, he trusted me so much, he gave me three extra. Why? Because he knew I understand what it is to have a father walk out. And then to make it really interesting, we had two more. Bang, bang. Now, let me tell you, things got incredibly challenging very fast. And uh, I love my kids. They are my world. My daughter's here with me this morning. My son's in a judo tournament down in Rotorua with my wife. And my older three uh, have left home now. But uh, I'm passionate about them. So after leaving Bible college and getting married, Karen and I and my twin brother and his wife sat down and we reflected and asked some questions and sought the mind of the Lord as to how we could use all of those painful and negative and often adverse experiences for good. 
And he simply said, Son, what's in your hand? He said, I've put compassion in your hand. Why? Through what you've been through. You understand what it is. I've put grace in your hand. Why? Because you understand what that is. I've put empathy in your hands. Why? Because you understand what that is. And all of that pain of brokenness of addiction, I've given you understanding. Why? So you know what it is and you can give that understanding to other people. And so we formed a charitable trust called Amp for Life in 2002 and our heart really is to empower young people to create a better future for themselves by making better choices through education, sport, whānau, culture, setting a new path, a positive direction, not only for themselves but also for future generations. You want to know what intimidation is? You stand in front of a thousand kids, let me tell you. If you're trying to stand up and pull a fast one on them, they will dissect you piece by piece and wipe the floor. They are merciless. They're the most callous audience I've ever had to deal with. I was in, uh, uh, where was it, Fraser High School um, about a month ago. Spoke to 1,500 kids in one room. Boy, there's some uh, energy in that room. But when you can keep that amount of kids silent for an hour, let me tell you, God is in that room as well. What a privilege and an opportunity to speak into a generation that so need to hear truth from somebody who loves them. You see, we give them the tools and information, but we can't walk the journey for them. We empower and guide them to make their own choices. Our heart is to convey a message which encourages the listener to take personal onus of responsibility. I share the brokenness of my own story, burying 61 of my friends, people that I cared and loved for, that are gone now. Eternally, I don't know where they are. But unless somebody speaks the truth and love, these kids are walking towards the edge of hell. And I'm not going to stand there and allow that to happen without hand on heart at least trying to do the right thing. The devastation and consequences of decisions made in haste which have had lifelong implications for me. As much as we know that God has a plan that's for good and not for evil, many of these young people do not. Growing up in a world where the only times they've heard about Jesus is in a sentence where somebody swears. Living in an antichrist society totally unaware of the satanic forces at work. They have an enemy called Satan whose prime modus operandi or motive is to steal, kill and destroy of every unsuspecting person that he can. Preying on the innocence and naivety of, the, of these young people. He looks for opportunities to sabotage and inflict pain and hurt. I'm not interested in labelling people. I live with labels. Drug addict, criminal, being involved with the gangs, being to prison. The truth of it is none of that's true. I'll give an example. I had a boy brought to me one day by a principal, put in the too hard, bo too hard box. I said, look, let me speak to this kid. I sat him down. I looked this boy in the eyes. He was 14. He was getting into trouble, breaking the law, and they didn't know what to do with him. I looked him in the eye and I said, boy, why are you doing what you're doing? He said, do you really want to know? I said, that's why I'm asking. Turned out his mother was a prostitute. She would disappear for two weeks at a time, go and sell her body for sex, leave him on his own. He was 14. His father was a drug dealer, and he would likewise go off and disappear for two weeks at a time. So he said to me this, do you know what I do, sir? He said, I go out and I commit crime, I break the law, and I get into trouble so that somebody I trust in authority, being the police, will keep me safe until my family come home again. I said, has anyone ever bothered to ask you this, sir? Anyone ever bothered to ask you this? He said, no, sir. 
He said, you're the first person that shut up long enough to allow me to speak. You see, God's given me two ears and one mouth. I need to listen twice as much as I speak. And if I'm listening with the heart of God and the, the voice of God, I can often discern and try and bring answers to these kids that so need answers to the things that they're facing. I'm not interested in labeling them. If I look at the behavior, I'm going to get a wrong picture of what's going on. We read in the book of Proverbs 16.25, there's a way that looks harmless enough, but in the end it leads straight to death. Many young people are faced with choices they, that can be potentially life-threatening. Some step across the void into a life of hurt and brokenness, decisions made without thought for the outcomes that follow. There's a battle going on every day in our cities, our towns and our homes, where young people are being pulled into a lifestyle of drink and drugs and many other at-risk behaviours trying to fit in and find significance and acceptance in a world which is fickle and unforgiving. Students encouraged to experiment and dabble with their sexuality and pushing boundaries which can alter their lives forever. I'll give an example. I had a girl text me six months ago. I'd spoken at the school and she texted me and said, Pat, I want to thank you. You saved my life today. I was about to commit suicide, but you helped me change my mind. What had happened was she'd slept with the sky. She got pregnant. The guy turned around to her and said, choose me or the baby. So she went and terminated that baby on the premise that this guy loved her, only for this guy to boost it and leave her two weeks later. He, she came back to me and she said, Pat, I'm 16 years old and I wanted it, but I thought he loved me. How many times could I echo that sentiment? Hundreds of times from beautiful kids that make decisions before they needed to and end up falling for a lie because the boyfriend said, I love you, that he actually did. Pornography at the press of a button, often unmonitored and left to their own devices, excuse the pun. All of this stuff bombarding our children today, and I just want to put my hand up and say, do you know what? I want to be part of the solution. Excessive marketing of alcohol and binge drinking mentality that in this case was fatal. A beautiful 18-year-old girl from Timaru, head student, ducks of the college, got late to a party, so she ended up picking up a bottle of vodka and sculling it straight. She ended up combing out in a corner at this party. A male friend stayed with her, at least tried to keep an eye on her. Came to a point in the night where he said, look, I've got to go. Can you guys look after my friend? Oh, yeah, we will. They forgot about her after five minutes, and by the time they looked back, it was too late. She was dead on the floor, 18 years of age. Somebody's daughter, somebody's sister, somebody's friend who will never get to go on and lead a long and fulfilling life. Her main reason she died, she drank too much alcohol. But sadly, everyone assumed she was okay. And now her life is over. Synthetic drugs and all sorts of mimics and counterfeits, substances which are being peddled to our innocent, naive children with no understanding of the effects of these that can have devastating and can be potentially fatal. Kids would say to me, well, sir, this stuff's illegal, it must be safe. Wrong. This stuff is 70% more addictive than normal cannabis. They've outlawed two of them. There's still hundreds of them that are available for our young people. And we're dealing with this stuff every day of the week. We see it on the truck, on the ambulance. We see these precious young lives. A young engineering student who rec rec recognized that he was going to be drug tested, so he thought, oh, I'll smoke these synthetics. They must be okay. The effects for him to, were so severe that he was rushed to the intensive care unit where he was intubated and put on a machine. Two hours after that photo was taken, his mother walked over to that machine, turned that life support off. 
watched that ventilator go down for the last time, somebody's precious son, somebody's brother, somebody's friend. And then, of course, we have the ongoing scourge of P-methamphetamine to contend with. Week after week, countless raids, seizures and arrests in relation to this evil and pernicious drug. In fact, in the last 12 months, New Zealand Customs and Police have intercepted 1.2 tonne or $1.2 billion worth of methamphetamine across our borders. Police and customs tell me they only get roughly a third of what's coming through our borders. It's destination market, our towns, our cities, our communities, and ultimately our children. Innocent, naive children caught up in an adult world which is complex and fraught with traps and dangers for the unsuspecting. Lives destroyed and impacted sometimes forever reaping the consequences of choices made in ignorance. I will never lie to our children and give them a nice PC answer. In today's world, they're encouraged to use drugs safely. And I made a commitment to Jesus 20 years ago when I started this. I would never compromise the message of truth to infer that there is such a thing as safe drug use. It's a lie that's erroneous. I have to stand before God and give an account for it. I speak the truth and love, and what they do with that information is entirely in their hands. All I am called to do is to speak that truth. Do you know what? If I was giving that, use drugs and use, the, use them safely, I'd be getting millions of dollars of funding, but I refuse to do that. I won't betray myself or these children. They deserve that respect to hear the truth for what it is. I've seen too much pain and hurt throughout my life because of drugs and alcohol and other substances. And I love them enough to tell them the truth. They deserve that respect. So years ago when I asked the Lord what I was going to do, he said, I want you to go and serve. Galatians 5.13 tells us, serve one another in love. It's not rocket science, actually. You want to encapsulate the gospel in one sentence or two sentences? Love the Lord your God with all your mind, heart, soul and strength and Love your neighbour as yourself. In doing so, you fulfil all the law and the prophets. So what did that look like? To take what I had, what was in my hands, and go and practically serve. So I ended up working at Tauranga Hospital ED for many years until the boys on the AMBO came in and said, what the hang are you doing here? You should be out on the road with us. And so hence we ended up joining in uh, as on the ambulance, which I've loved doing and loved serving my colleagues. It's such a privilege and an opportunity to help them do what they do best. I'm working with incredibly skilled people who are just the most amazing people. I love them and I love doing that. Certainly not about the money. 25 bucks for 12 hours? Yeah, right. <laughs> I do it because I want to use my faith to practically help others. So 15 years on and nearly half a million young people we continue to take our message to inspire change through choices. We go out into the highways and byways. I recognised in my own life that if I failed to help when I see a need and do nothing, I believe I'm missing the mark. In effect, the sin of omission. An old Irish philosopher once said, all that's necessary for evil to triumph is that good men do nothing. I at least want to do something. I can't save them all, that's his job. My job is to use what's in my hand, that grace, that compassion, that love, that understanding, and take it and give it. 
freely you have received, now freely give. Don't withhold from those that need it, where every day you're brought into contact with people that unless you reflect Jesus to a dying world, they're going to go to hell without knowing who he is. God's brought people into your world so that you are, remember the Bible says, you are the light of the world. Let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father who is in heaven. Christ in me, the hope of glory. When I die, I take nothing with me. Naked, you come into this world and naked you leave it. Do you know what? I figured that out long ago. I'll take nothing with me, but hopefully what I'll leave behind is a legacy of changed lives impacted by our words and by our message, speaking the truth in love. I figure if I can influence one life today, I'll take one. I'll take another one tomorrow. I got over myself a long time ago. It's actually not about me. I can't save more. And what I've learned is that life will teach those lessons that they are too proud or unwilling to learn from others. We all know John 3.16, but I want to challenge you. Do you know 1 John 3.16? Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. Would you step up and join with me today in making a commitment to God to look, a, look for opportunity to serve using whatever's in your hands? My family, my mum was my biggest hero. I was sharing my testimony at Anglican Church in town, Holy Trinity, and she decides to have a heart attack on me <laughs> right in the middle of it. So I ended up rushing out to treat her with my colleagues that arrived on scene and she's saying, get out there and finish what you started. Never mind me, you know where I'm going. But it was my mum to the end. I used to ask her, mum, have you had that pain before? Oh, yeah, what did you do? Oh, I just go and lie down and go to sleep. It's like, mum, you can't do that, you're having a heart attack. But my mum last year ended up being rushed into Middlemore Hospital, and at 81 years of age, she was still, she was so proud of the three of us, and now she was setting her face like flint to pray for her grandchildren. She was my biggest supporter. Both my brothers Mike and Ian are still pastoring. Uh, my twin brother Mike runs a children's Bible ministry camp out at Ragler. Uncle Mike and my older brother is a pastor in Auckland. And in saying that, my dad, my mum went round there and started to build a relationship with him again and had the privilege of leaving my dad, leading my dad to Jesus. In fact, I was in Holland. I was in Holland in uh, early 2000. And I was driving down the motorway one day and I felt the Lord speak to me very clearly. And he said, Pat, I'm going to take your dad home. And I went, what? He said, I'm going to take your dad home. And all of a sudden I understood. Four days later I got a phone call. Pat, dad's died. I said, yeah, I know. I'm not coming home for a corpse. See you later. I know where he's going to be. There's no point in me coming home. I know exactly where he is right now. And you know what? God is in the business of saving families, redeeming families. He's all about family. Look at us. These guys are my inspiration for doing what I do. If in any way you'd like to partner, partner with us, whether you become an AMP supporter, whether it's through prayer or any other way you'd like to support and get on board with what we're doing, please feel free. Uh, we have a web page that you can go to. We have some brochures out the back on the back table. But it's been my privilege and my honour to come and share a window of my life. I'd love to take you out on the road with me sometime. 
If you ever see us doing a thing locally, because we do quite a lot of local schools, feel free to invite yourself and come along. Come and witness what we do in action. Father, I thank you. I thank you for this wonderful group of people. I thank you, Lord, that it's your love that uh, motivates me to do what I do. Father, I think it's your love that's redeemed each one of us here today. And Lord, I pray that we could take that same love and use it and share it and be a visible representation of those that so need a real Jesus in their life right now. In Jesus' name, amen.